Well, good morning. First of all, I just have to say I saw a lot of people with good taste. I th- saw t-shirts that looked like they were, they got the memo or something, but it looks great because are we ready for VBS? Don't answer. Oh, okay, good. You can answer that. Yes, we're ready. Well, I, I hope we're ready. If we're not ready, you only have tonight to get ready, okay? So let's do it. We're a team, and we're excited to see how young people will be excited about VBS and what goes on there, but also that they're going to encounter Jesus this whole week. So we get to do that. We get to present Jesus. So I'm excited about that. I hope you're excited, and we're going to let you know next week, if you're not involved, what happened. But um, I just wanted to open today is that to tell you that we're going to open God's Word, but I will not be reading to you from Hebrew Aramaic or Greek, the original languages. No, instead, for you guys today, I'm going to do that in English. No problem, right? Are you thankful? I'm going to read to you from English, but the very first English translation traces back to a British man named William Tyndale. Heard of that guy before? Maybe, maybe not. Okay. He spoke seven languages, and in fact, His translation was so accurate that years later, eight out of ten times, the translators of the authorized or the King King James Version, the authorized version, agreed that he got it right. But the church in that day, they were not ready to allow the common man to read the Bible in the language of the day. And just... By translating the Bible from its original languages into English, Tyndale was accused of heresy or false teachings. And he was taken to the town square and he was burned alive or burned to death. We have our English version of the Bible partly because of a a bold man for Jesus. He wanted everyone to be able to read it in their own native tongue in English. So let's pray before we open God's Word, and we're going to do it in English today for you. Let's pray. Father, we, we lift up those who went, came before us to help us have your Word in our language so that we can understand the beauty of you pursuing us to know you intimately. Prepare us today to hear your Word that we may act now. It is in the precious name of the only one who can save us, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Are you ready? Here we go. Toward the end of the 19th century, in 1866 to be exact, a Swedish chemist awoke one morning to read his own obituary in the local newspaper. Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite who died yesterday, devised a way for more people to be killed in a war than ever before. And he died a very rich man. Actually, it was... Alfred Nobel's brother, his older brother, who had died. And the newspaper reporter got it wrong and on his epitaph. They messed it up. But the account had a profound effect on Mr. Nobel. By reading his own obituary, it is clear that it, he was overwhelmed with shame and guilt by what he had done. That thousands that, that what he had created caused countless deaths. He decided he wanted to be known for something other than developing the means to kill people efficiently and for amassing a fortune in the process. So he invented the Nobel Prize, which you might be familiar with, right? 
Heard of the Nobel Prize? The award for scientists and writers who foster peace. Nobel said every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. Very few people will ever change as much as looking at our life as though we were considered already dead. Now, last week, you might recall, Jerry Clark was preaching, right? And he preached out of chapter 1 of the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters. And um, what we learned was the city of Nineveh was pretty bad. It was one of the most violent uh, cities in the ancient world. Um, And they had perfected the art of torture because they were brutally wicked. And this city was part of the Assyrian Empire. I don't know much of how much of history you're familiar with, but Israel was down in the south and Assyria was at the top. And it was a very powerful force and it was Israel's enemy. And so it was, it, Nineveh was at the center of this empire. And so it was very vile and it was a vile enemy of Israel, like I said, but So much so that, here's this, the Israelites preferred that judgment on Nineveh rather than grace. That's how much they were an enemy. Let me explain what grace is. Let me give you a definition of grace. Grace. Grace is getting undeserved mercy and the gift of eternal life even though we have done wrong towards God. Getting eternal life even though we have done something wrong towards God. So grace angers some people. But you know what else? Grace also leads people to worship. And we're going to find this out when we start to read chapter 2. We're going to find out how it leads people to worship. So Jonah's story begins, and you guys know the story. I probably uh, am telling some of you for the first time. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to review it a little bit. But here's what happened. Basically, God tells Jonah what? He says, get up and go to Nineveh and preach against it because they were wicked people. And Jonah, of course, as you might gather, he agreed with God, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. They are horrible people. So God tells him to go to Nineveh. But what does he do instead? He runs somewhere else, doesn't he? And if you know, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but the city, he runs to the city of Tarshish. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Tarshish, but that is southern Spain. So basically, he's running the opposite direction of where God told him, because we're going to find out maybe next week a little more detail, but Mosul, Mosul, Iraq, is where Nineveh is today. So he's going the opposite direction. And you know where he runs to? He runs to the city that you might know. It's a modern-day city in Israel. He runs to, well, I'll give you the name in the Scripture. It's called Joppa. Joppa is the name. And those of uh, people who were fortunate enough to go on the Israel trip learned that Joppa, with a P, is actually Jaffa over there. So they call the ancient city Jaffa. But in our Bibles, we have it written Joppa, so I'm going to use that one. But he went to Joppa, and that's the modern-day city of Tel Aviv. So right on the Mediterranean. So God tells him to get up and go and preach to those people in Israel, and I'm sorry, to uh, Nineveh, and he goes the other direction. So he gets on a ship. Now, you might be familiar uh, with this story a little bit, but he gets on the ship, and uh, they get going, and what happens? Do you remember what happens? A what comes upon them. 
Not a storm, a violent storm, a horrible storm. I mean, it's so bad. These guys are terrified. They're petrified. So they're on this boat, and um, it's tossing them back and forth. They basically think they're going to die. So what do they do? The first thing they think of is, okay, let's lighten the ship. So they begin to take cargo, and they begin to lift it off the ship and throw it into the sea. Does it help? No. If you're a Sunday school teacher, which I know you two are, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you're saying, no, that didn't help, did it? No, the storm was still violent. They, they were so scared that they began to pray to their God. To, now, small g. They began to pray to their gods. Did it work? Sunday school teachers are saying no, so we're going to say no. We're going to say you're right. I'm not going to go against you up here. Well, I could, I guess, but I will hear it later. So you're right. He, it, doesn't, nothing, it doesn't affect them. So, so they've prayed. They've thrown cargo over. So then they go down to, I didn't know this. I, I know only because Scripture says it. But they go to below deck. I didn't know they had deck, below decks back then. Apparently their boats did. So they go below deck. And what did they find? Do you remember? Somebody's fast asleep. Now, I don't get that. Here the guys are petrified, terrified. They're throwing things off the boat. They're absolutely scared, right? They're so scared they pray to their gods. That doesn't work. They go underneath and they find this man fast asleep. Now, if you don't recall, Jonah says in chapter one that, hey, I'm running from God. When he gets on the boat and he, before he gets on there, they already know this. So this man, which they're, they're shocked, they wake him up and they said, okay, pray to your God. Pray that we are going to be safe. And he, you know, after, you know, like some of you wake up and you know how it takes you a long time. Five co- cups of coffee later. Michael needs maybe ten. But he, after so many cups of coffee, then you're awake. But I mean, so he's kind of, when he comes to his senses, he says, oh, no, no, no. D- don't even bother. Do you know what you need to do? What's the remedy? What, do they tell, what does he tell them to do? He says murder. Not quite murder. He doesn't actually say murder me. But he says, what does he say? I see him mouthing on there, but he says, throw me overboard. What? Immediate. Now, they don't do that. Not at, not at first. They don't do it because they're thinking, we can't kill you. But how they found out, I forgot to tell you this one part, but how they found out that it was Jonah that was the problem was they did, I, they, they cast lots. Now, I don't know what casting lots is, but I imagine it's like, if you know how you take straws and all of them are different, different lengths, right? And you, you come up to the person, they can't see the lengths behind it, right? That there's different ones, right? They say, okay, you draw one. And they draw until the final one, they find out it's Jonah. So they cast lots and figure out it's him. So they've done everything. He's told them to throw him overboard. And finally, nothing has worked. But they do remember him, what he said earlier. So they finally murder him, right? At least that's what they think they're doing. They throw him in the violent storm, mind you. They throw him overboard. And then what happens? I see it. I saw that. I like that. that you, maybe I should have you come up here to do the actions to my story. But Tim Arnold said, what do you think that means? It got calm. Now, I don't know if it got calm right away. Scripture doesn't tell us when it got calm, but it got calm. And you know what happened? Those men began to understand grace. Those men understand grace, and they began to worship Yahweh. And what we're going to learn in our story is that if you look in Scripture, and it's going to be up here soon, not yet, but when you, when you see it, you're going to see capital L-O-R-D. All, all four letters are capital, and that is the way the Scriptures tell us, since we don't speak Hebrew, right, or Aramaic, that's what it tells us that the word is Yahweh. So we're going to learn that these men began worshiping, they were worshiping small g, 
and they began worshiping capital G, which is Yahweh. They began, but, but the, to finish the story off, he, he's thrown over. They think they're murdering him. It, we're going to find out later it's not murder, right? I guess it kind of is. They intended to kill him, or at least to get him off the boat. The storm got calm. He fell deep down into the water. And then what happens? He, well, first of all, he thinks he's going to drown. But then what? What did you say? Oh, I love what you're saying. Some of you, what, did someone say whale? Because if you did, I, wanna, I want you to go like this to wake yourself up. Because it's not, whale's not in scripture. We're going to read it and you're going to find out. But it wasn't a whale. It was a great fish. So a great fish swallows him. Okay, so so far you got, there's the summary of what happened. Now, it got me to thinking just, I don't know, I'm one of those people. I'm really analytical. And it got me to thinking of some questions. I can't just hear that story and then just leave it. So here's some questions I had. Number one, did Jesus believe the Jonah story? That a big fish, not a whale, but a big fish actually swallowed a man? That he lived inside that fish for three days and three nights without dying. And then that that big fish vomited him out so that he could actually go preach against Israel's enemy, against Nineveh. Did did Jesus believe that story? We have an answer found in Matthew. Let's look at that. If you have your Bibles, you can look with me. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 12. I don't have it on the screen for you, but I I will read what it says here. In Matthew chapter 12, when we're looking at verses 39 through 40, here's what it says. He answered, and this is Jesus talking, by the way. He answered, um, Jesus replied, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, there we go, huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Did Jesus actually believe that story? You bet he did. Question number two. Here's my other question. Okay, and some of you might be thinking like me, but here's that question. How did Jonah breathe inside that fish? Come on, someone's, you, you thought that, right? How did he breathe inside that fish? That, that went through my head. Okay, number three, maybe it wasn't you. Uh, what was it like to have no light for three days? I know that's a silly question, but I did think it. A- another question, and this one, some of you are going to immediately react when I say it, because I just think you will react this way. It says, um, what did it smell like inside that fish? Right? All those juices inside, you know, in your stomachs, and all those decaying animals. I don't, I don't know, but what did it smell like? Number five, did he eat or did he fast for three days? I, I know, I agree with you. I would, I would say he fasted. Um, I'm just, I think he fasted. I don't know, maybe he did like rotting fish. Number Number six, now, okay, do we have any science people in here? Because I know we usually have mixture. No one? Are you kidding me? Well, if you don't want to admit it, I'm going to ask the question for you. But number six, was there extreme pressure on Jonah, like submarines experience? Because think about it. Do you think that fish that swallowed him whole is going to stay up at the top like a submarine would do if it could, which it can? Do you think it'd stay at the top? I don't think so, yeah. Stephanie, you agree? I saw her head go, and I told her I would bring her in one of my sermons, so there you go. But I think it went really deep down in the water. And you, you know we have to have special equipment if you're going to be 
in a submarine, there's special equipment so that you don't, you get, you feel normal inside when all that pressure's there. I don't know, that went through my head. And another question, was Jonah, now, I know I'm getting, these are silly, but was Jonah compacted inside the fish or did he have room to move around? Obviously, it depends on how big that fish is. Okay, and the last question is this. What was Jonah thinking when he was inside? He had to be thinking that his life will end soon, right? We know the end of the story, but he had to be thinking that. And actually, we know what he was thinking. You ready? Let's read it ourselves. Let's go to Jonah chapter 2. I have a marked here so that I don't lose it. But if you, were, if you have a Bible and you have a physical Bible in here, and I don't know how many of you do, it's, not, it's actually really close to the New Testament, but not quite there. You can see the old is here and the new is here. Or it's near here. But um, we're going to read Jonah chapter 2. Let's read. I just want to tell you, up on the screen, I, you don't have verse 17 of the last chapter. I'm going to read it so that it, the context of the story is clear. So I'll read that, and then we'll get into the, what it says on the screen. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his, his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers kept me, kept, or swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank deep. Uh, sank down, excuse me. The earth beneath me bar, or the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What I first noticed in this story, I don't know if you noticed it, but what I first noticed is that the fish, the huge fish, obeyed God. Right? was commanded to vomit him out, and it vomited him out. But Jonah, but Jonah disobeyed. He had disobeyed God, and he received consequences. He was tossed around, first of all, in a violent storm on a ship, although he was asleep at first, right? He was tossed around, and everyone expected to die because the ship was going to be destroyed by that violent storm, right? Another consequence, he nearly drowned in the sea. And we remember hearing that a little bit, that things were wrapped around him and he nearly drowned. And then thirdly, he was swallowed by a huge fish. And with each of these consequences that Jonah experienced, he believed that he was going to die, right? He believed he was going to die. But each time, but each time, God showed mercy. Notice that before Jonah prays, think about this. Think about before we hear his prayer, 
before, and that would be chapter 1, what Jerry was preaching on. But before we even hear his prayer, do you notice that God is already showing his mercy and salvation? God is already at work at showing his mercy before he even prays. Jonah is not killed after being thrown into the sea during a violent storm. And verse 3 tells us that he sank deep into the sea, but he didn't what? He sank deep into the sea, but he didn't drown. You're right. And, and lastly, a huge fish swallowed him. However, he stayed alive. Right? Each time, he still didn't realize that he's not going to die, that God was going to show him something else. Now, I have a nice sister-in-law. Her name is Tammy. And she reminded me of something that I don't have any recollection at all. I do not remember this at all. But I graduated, and she was there at my graduation. Um, And when I graduated, they had a guy named Ken Eidelman. Some of you might know him. He's the former president of Ozark Christian College. But he's also was the uh, senior pastor, former, pa- um, former senior pastor over at Crossroads Christian Church, just across the town. Uh, he actually preached the sermon. And in his sermon, he asked this one question. And my sister-in-law, of course, reminded me. He asked this question. What was the name of the fish that swallowed Jonah? The answer? Grace. God did not have to save Jonah. He did not have to save Jonah when he disobeyed, but he did. Now we're going to look at verse 8. In Jonah's prayer, he makes a comparison uh, to worthless idols. In verse 8 it reads, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Did you see that? Idols... Do not save us. Things do not save us. They cause us to turn away from God's love. And they are worthless and they never save. Things never save. Preacher and author John Piper, he says it this way. He says, what is an idol? Well, it is the thing. It is the thing loved or the person loved more than God. Wanted more than God desired more than God, treasured more than God, enjoyed more than God. It could be a girlfriend. It could be good grades. It could be the approval of other people. It could be success in business. It could be a hobby or a musical group that you are following or a sport or your immaculate yard. What thing can save a person? Can can our job save us? Can Netflix save us? Maybe from boredom, right? But can, they give, can Netflix give us life in heaven? Can playing in or watching the World Series save us? Or what about, can the, the right political party save us? Or can quoting the Bible backwards and forwards save us? Or even coming to church every Sunday, can that save us? No, not one thing can save us. Not one thing can save us. However, Jonah tells us that salvation is from the Lord, from Yahweh. Having a relationship with the Lord does save us. 
Now, initially, when I began to think of the story and thinking of, of what Jonah did, when I, initially when I looked at it and he, how he was directly disobeying God, um, I thought in my mind that, you know what? He deserves God's punishment. Isn't that what he gets when, when he receives the violent storm? Isn't he getting a punishment? Or, and it almost destroys the boat. Or, or when he almost drowns. Or when the fish swallows him whole. Each one of those seems like a punishment. But each time, Jonah is saved. Each time. So think, um, well, in, each of these seem like a punishment, but, but, but he's saved. However, what we start to learn is that God shows grace. God shows grace. Jonah did not deserve grace. He was defiant. He was disobedient and disgruntled that God would extend grace to Israel's enemy. Now think about enemies of God. Uh, some of you might know the uh, Apostle Paul. You've heard of the Apostle Paul, right? You know of him. At, one, at first, wasn't he an enemy of God? What he was doing is he was going from, uh, I want to say church to church, but he was going from synagogue to synagogue, actually city to city, and then synagogue to synagogue. And he was taking people they, that belonged to the way, but he was actually taking Christians, and he was putting them into jail. And many of them, they were putting, being put to death. However, however, when, when Paul, the apostle, he was known as Saul, when, when he encounters Jesus, when he encounters and experiences his grace, what happens? He becomes one of the most heroic people that we know of in the New Testament. He is, becomes the author of many of the books that we read in Scripture. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy. He becomes a major hero. That's what God does to enemies. When, he, when they experience his grace, they change. But Jonah is missing what Yahweh is all about. God is all about showing grace. But first, think of why Jonah is praying. Why is he praying? Hmm. Why is the entire chapter about Jonah's prayer? Jonah realizes that he is the one who put him in his circumstance. Jonah has done wrong, and Jonah has defiantly disobeyed God's command. I'll do it my way is, is basically what he's saying. I think I know better than God. Jonah, in chapter 2, is consumed with guilt. Because of his disobedience. And he knows he is the cause of his own pain. And just like Alfred Nobel, like I mentioned earlier, just like he is overwhelmed by guilt because of what he did, Jonah is also overwhelmed with guilt. And he is in a deep, heartfelt despair. Have you ever felt despair? Have you experienced extreme pain, unbearable pain, like the unexpected death of a child or even of a spouse, or like receiving a terminal cancer diagnosis, or losing your house due to foreclosure, or getting terminated from your job 
with no income. Or having a close family member who gets arrested and jailed. Or, or learning that your spouse wants a divorce. Or that your parents are splitting up. Or the despair of being humiliated because your secret has been exposed. What is it that makes you fall flat on your face in anguish to God in prayer? And you know, it makes it a bitter pill when we are the root cause of the crisis. What can we learn when we're overwhelmed with guilt? When we're overwhelmed with guilt, our knee-jerk reaction, it is for me, I don't know about you, but our knee-jerk reaction is to hide in shame or to blame someone else. Jonah is overwhelmed with a guilty conscience because he knows that in his heart he is wrong before God. He is in shame because he ran away. He disobeyed God. That's why he's in shame. So here are several ways to avoid being overwhelmed by guilt. Number one, stop attempting to control your circumstances. Stop attempting to control your circumstances. Jonah immediately ran the other direction when he was commanded to go to Nineveh, Israel's enemy, so that God could show grace. Immediately he ran the other day. He did not want them to have grace. He ran the other way. Our earthly nature tries to control our circumstances by blaming. When, when we um, get into bad circumstances, we try to control everything, don't we? Don't you? When something bad's happening and you don't know what to do, don't you try to control it? That's our first reaction. At least it's mine. We control our circumstances also by blaming outside sources. You know, it's because of my dysfunctional background. Or it's because of my boss. Yeah, that's, that's why. Or it's because my spouse does this. Or it's because I, I don't have help from my extended family. We blame others. Number two, we need to seek the Lord before we seek advice. Seek the Lord before we seek advice. We seek other sources of advice, right? The newspaper, a financial advisor, horoscopes, talk shows, maybe even a family panel, and of course our favorite, right? Our uh, Facebook advisors. Don't we? I, I, we do. We need to seek God's word for his authority. And simultaneously, we need to seek the Lord in prayer. Also, I might add this, that we don't want to seek the Lord's advice and then follow someone else. But that brings us to number three. Take ownership of your sin. Take ownership of your sin. Take responsibility. Admit that you are the one who is wrong. That the one who has done wrong. Take ownership that you are the reason you got here, that you are where you are. And part of why I think God showed grace to Jonah, the reason I think is because he owned up to his sin. I'm the reason why this storm has happened. 
I'm the reason we're going to die. I'm the reason. You want to end your overwhelming guilt? Stop trying to control your circumstances. Seek the Lord's advice first. Take ownership of your sin. Get this. God used fish vomit. God used fish vomit. I know that sounds horrible and I'm just thinking about it. But God used fish vomit to show an undeserving man and an unrepentant Nineveh grace. Fish vomit. He used that to show grace. He's pursuing you like he's, he did Israel's enemy, the city of Nineveh, so that you can experience grace and not guilt. Alfred Nobel is not remembered today as the inventor of the destructive dynamite that destroyed thousands of lives. He was able to change what people wrote on his epitaph. Not someone known for taking life, but a man who rewarded people for pursuing all means of peace. Today's story about Jonah highlights God's grace for Jonah. His grace for the vile Nineveh and the grace that he wants to extend to you, to us. Are you ready for some grace? As we begin to think about communion like we do every week, we should remember what Jesus said about Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What Jesus is talking about in Matthew and in Jonah is salvation. That just like salvation was offered to the Ninevites, those ruthless, uh, wicked, violent people who turned their enemies and, I'm sorry, tortured their enemies and destroyed them using horrific practices. Just like God pursued them so that they could spend an eternity with him in heaven, the same God wants salvation for us, for you. No one is worthy of saving. We have all been defiant, rebellious, disobedient. God should not pursue any of us. But that is not what we learn about Nineveh. That is not what we learn about Jonah either. God is pursuing each of us. And even if you don't know it today, God is still in the pursuit of people who disobey him. And he sent Jesus to earth, to the very heart of the earth, even when we were still sinning, because God pursues us. He is in love with us, and he wants to show us unimaginable grace. Let's remember his pursuit of us as we take communion. Let's remember that he is pursuing us, and he, does, he wants to give us grace. We don't deserve it, but he's offering it, and he wants to give it to you. He wants to give it to us. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your pursuit of us. We disobey you. We have to let you down so many times. And you are still in love with us. You still want us to have a relationship with you. You love us. You are not going to let go of us. And so we are so thankful that you don't give up and that you don't get rid of us because we sin or because we disobey or because we do our own thing. We are so thankful that you're a God 
who pursues us passionately and, and you give us tons of grace. We want to remember that as we think of what you did for us on the cross. We thank you for Jesus and for all that that means. It's in Jesus' name we pray.